You are now listening to the Think 180 podcast from Inc. 180 Ministries in Chicago, Illinois. Hello and welcome. Please stand by. Chris Baker from Inc. 180, and this is episode six of the Think 180 podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us and, and uh, for sharing this. The podcast is starting to get picked up by some folks. We really appreciate it. Uh, here this morning with uh, Kyle Kroning, as always. Good morning. Putting everything together for us, doing a great job. And my special guest, my other artist here, Sophie Morse. Um, we're going to be talking about self-harm and um, her experience with it and kind of how she's dealt with it and how she helps other people. Uh, here with the ministry. She's a real valuable part of our team, and we love her to death. Um, self-harm. Uh, it was something that I had no idea about. It was another one of those things, like sex trafficking and, and some of the other things that we deal with here. I had never heard of it. I had never heard about it um, until I was working in youth ministry and working with Young Life uh, as a leader a few years ago. And we did a, a project one night where we had a, a group of kids, it was a couple hundred, maybe 300 kids. And I think we talked about this a little bit last week, but we, uh, we had these kids walk into this gymnasium one night when we had club and on the front of the room, we had a whiteboard and it said, if you really knew me, you would know blank. And they all had a uh, index card and a pencil and they anonymously wrote down what that blank was in their life. Um, what their, their pain point in their life was. And we took those back to, to Lance's house and we sat down and, and read those cards and, and sobbed because the pain that these young people were dealing with and feeling in their lives and didn't necessarily have an outlet for it. They didn't feel like they had somebody they could talk to. Um, they didn't have necessarily the, the best group of friends. Um, they didn't feel like they could talk to their families or a teacher or a counselor about it and they, they didn't know how to process it. And the number of those cards that had self-harm or cutting written on them was alarming. And uh, I, I got a, a very quick background knowledge to, to what self-harm was about, but nothing like when um, we started covering self-harm scars for folks here. Um, we had another artist here a few years ago named Joelle and she had dealt with self-harm in her life and was very open about talking about it with people and, and helping to educate me and Lisa about it at the time and uh, asked if we could help cover some of those, those scars. And I hadn't really had a lot of experience with covering scars with tattoos. So I talked to a dermatologist friend of ours and I said, hey, am I going to do further damage to the skin? Um, and she kind of talked me through the process had to be a little bit different. We had to be um, a lot slower with our approach to tattooing over scars. 
Um, she showed me that there's there's certain types of scars we just simply could not tattoo over uh, because we would cause keloids or other types of further damage. And uh, we started covering self-harm scars. And I, I learned, I, this isn't unusual. I, I say this all the time. I learn new things about all the subjects that we work around every single day. Like it's one of those things that I'll continue to learn about as long as I'm doing this work and beyond. But um, it's very important. Sophie uh, came to us in a really interesting way. Uh, a couple of years ago, I got a phone call from Wabonzi High School here uh, in Aurora, Illinois. And it was a guidance counselor. And she said, oh, Mr. Baker, which always makes me laugh because it makes me feel older than I already am. But she said, Mr. Baker, we have a student here named Sophie, and she's an incredible artist, and she wants to be a tattoo artist. We're having a career day, and we're setting up students with um, people that are in the field that they're interested in going into. And you're the only tattoo shop in the area that we would ever feel comfortable sending a student to. Uh, would it be okay if she came and spent the day with you? Uh, she's going to ask questions, kind of watch what you do, take some notes. Um, I said, yeah, it, it, I was really excited about it because, um, first of all, we love working with young people, um, working with young life. And as a youth pastor, uh, assistant youth pastor, I really enjoyed that and, and kind of getting that view of the world because I'm old now, but also it was really cool because it's female artists, right? And the tattoo industry, although it's made some, some strides in the right direction over the last five, six years, um, there certainly are not enough female tattoo artists. And especially given the types of work that we do here, um, it's important to have more female tattoo artists because sometimes Somebody will come in and, uh, you know, if it's a cover up or a removal uh, and it's on a, a more private area like the chest or, or whatever, you know, Sophie or, can do that or Lisa can do removals um, to make that client feel more comfortable. With that, it's important to say that we don't do regular tattoos on those areas. It's just our personal choice. If your swimsuit area covers or if your swimsuit covers the area, we don't tattoo it. Um, just our personal preference, but as far as removals go and, and cover-ups for the ministry, it's awesome to have female artists and a, an exceptional female artist to be able to do that. Uh, so Sophie came in and spent the day with us, and super shy. You're going to hear that in her, in her voice. We give her a hard time all the time. She's the sweetest, but she is super timid. Um, this is her personality, and we love it about her. But uh, she came in and, and sat down. And, and uh, I was, I was doing a, I think I was doing a tattoo removal when she first got here and she was asking me some questions about it and we had a really good day. She asked really good questions and had some good observations and, um, she was really smart though. Cause she had her artwork and she's like, Hey, can you do me a favor? She's like real timid, like afraid to ask and don't look at me like that. You know, you are. <laughs> and, uh, she's like, um, would it be okay if I, sh could I show you my artwork? I was like, yeah, definitely. She, she opens this, this portfolio and I was blown away by the quality of her artwork. It wasn't, um, we've seen some really phenomenal like high school artists in the area. Um, but I hadn't seen anything like this and it blew me away. And I was like, man, I wish I could draw as well as you draw. Um, 
it was just amazing. And then she asked me, she's like, you know, would it be okay if maybe I came back on a weekend on a Saturday or something and, and how, you know, shadowed you a little bit more and asked more questions. I said, yeah. So she did. And, uh, it was all good. And then she had asked me if it would be possible for me to do an apprenticeship with her. Now I had about two weeks before she asked me this question, I had sworn that I wouldn't do another apprenticeship for a, quite a while, maybe ever. Um, I had some, some, uh, apprentice, issues before like you know we'd, we'd spend a lot of time working with people and then it just they wouldn't they would go in a different direction which is fine if it's not their thing it's not their thing so I was kind of at the point where I was like yeah I don't really want to get wrapped up in the time that's consumed in doing that it's you know an, an apprenticeship ranges from one to two years sometimes um, mine was two years but um, I was like you know what if she's this great of an artist and she was a great person too that's what we loved was just her personality and the quality of her work and the attention to detail that she had. And so I said, yeah, I said, come on in. And we started working and man, she was like, I always tell people tattoo apprenticeships are very self-driven. You spend a lot of time upstairs by yourself, tattooing practice skins and drawing and working with machines and tearing machines down, trying to figure out how things work together. And she powered through it and with quality, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't that she was rushing by any means. It was she was she was moving pretty fast through it, and then um, started tattooing. She asked me, you know, what is it going to take for me to start tattooing people? I, I looked at her. and I said, you have to tattoo me, and I have to like it. And she did. She did a, a tattoo on my ankle. She did my whosoever's tattoo. Shout out to all my whosoever's out there. What's up, guys? Um, she did that for me and did awesome. She probably did it better than I would have done it on somebody, but, uh, she's been a, a key role, a key role player here for us. And she has a lot of background and she does a lot of self-harm cover-ups, tons of them and stuff that she's done. You look at it and you're like, you can't even tell where the scars were ever. And it's one of the things with self-harm tattoo cover-ups is you're not just dealing with fresh skin. You're dealing with very damaged skin. Sometimes the scars are, um, you know, very prominent, um, raised up, um, just really tough to tattoo. And the way that she, she does, she goes about her, her craft is, is amazing. And, and it's really cool to see the looks on people's faces when she covers those scars. And it's, it's life changing. You know, I've, I've had people say to me, you know, ah, I don't understand the whole self-harm thing. Well, you know what? I don't understand it either because I never lived it. But here, here's a, a young woman who did live it, and she's got a heart to help people out. And we couldn't be more proud to have you here, Sophie. So now we're going to get in. We're going to ask uh, Sophie. So Sophie dealt with self-harm, and we're just going to talk about it to the level that she's comfortable talking about uh, with it. Um, but how, like when did for you, like what age were you when self-harm started for you? Oh, I was pretty young. I was in eighth grade, I want to say, when it started. And when it started, it would just start off as, you know, a fight with my mom. And then just I've heard about like, oh, it's a good way to, you know, let out like that pain that you feel. So I did it once. And then after that, it was just downhill from there. Uh, over the course of 16 months, it got so bad to where the psychiatrists and doctors at hospitals described it as addiction. 
level. It wasn't, it got to the point where it wasn't even like something bad would happen. I would just feel like this constriction in my chest and like walls were closing in. The only way to make that go away was to cut. Um, I tried to hide it as best as I could. So I did it a lot over my stomach, breasts, uh, thighs, and then in the winter over the arms because I could cover it with a jacket. Uh, during that time, it was, I want to say, Janu- January, yeah, of, God, I don't even remember what year it was. I feel so old. Yeah. Uh, it was in January of my eighth grade year that I finally got help for it. My dad had come into my room to see if I wanted to watch a TV show with him, and he saw some blood on some paper towels, and he ripped off my jacket, and he saw that both of my arms were completely covered in cuts, wrist-to-elbow, lattice pattern, just really bad. He took me to the ER, and then I was sent into inpatient from there, Provena Mercy Medical Hospital over in Aurora. Um, While I was there, I got the help I needed. The doctors and psychiatrists were amazing. They, when I told my story to them, they described it as an addiction level because sometimes it wasn't anything bad would even happen to trigger me to cut. It was just, I would get this constriction in my chest and I could feel the walls closing in around me and the only thing that could make that stop and go away was if I cut myself. Um, I was also diagnosed with bipolar disorder, depression, and anxiety disorders as well, and got the medication for that. And having that, like, balance me out and, like, have my hormones leveled out, like, really helped in the way, like, I was able to, like, deal with the cutting and, like, move past that. I was also put into behavioral therapy so I could learn better coping mechanisms, because that's a huge part of what will help you, like, get better and recover. For me, it was art and music. My art was my saving grace. It was the thing that honestly did save my life. At first, it was just when I would, like, things would get too much and I wouldn't want to cut. I would just draw out those emotions just haphazardly, just sometimes not even, you could even tell what it was, but it helped. And then it wasn't until high school where I really got serious about it and used that art for social issue pieces. And then I had people constantly talking to me about like their problems and how like this art piece had helped them. And that's when I knew like I wanted to use art to help people in my life. And this job is the biggest blessing I could ever ask for. That, that's so cool. to he- I mean, it's really cool to hear that you got the help, first of all, mm-hmm. that you needed. Um, because one of the questions I always ask, and it's when we're working with clients and, and, you know, if they've opened up and they they're comfortable talking about, I'll ask them is, you know, didn't people see this going on? And like you said, you hit it so well until that one day, luckily your dad did see it Mm. um, and got you the help. When you got that help, like, have you ever since then, have you ever struggled with like feeling like that again? Oh yeah. It's definitely not something that just went away immediately. There were times, like, even throughout the rest of middle school and high school where I would just sometimes slip up and self-injure myself, but I was honest with my parents because they were so open and willing to help, and having that kind of communication between your parents is crucial, like, that kind of honesty. Like, they weren't mad at me. They were like, okay, what's going on? What can we do to help? And instead of, like, getting angry at me and, like, lashing out at me, like, having that support was the best thing. 
Yeah, I think that I, I thank you for saying that because it's so important, especially for parents to hear that. Um, I talked about that a couple episodes ago um, when we were talking about social media safety. It's so important for us as parents to to really foster an environment with our kids where they feel like they can talk about stuff. And it's going to be things that we don't want to hear sometimes, or it's going to be things that we don't know how to deal with, or if we can even deal with it. Um, we need to deal with it. We're parents. We chose to be parents and we need to raise our kids and give them every opportunity that they need to be successful in their lives. Um, and this is one of the things that I hear over and over and over again is I felt like I had nobody to talk to. And so to hear that your parents were so open to communicating about it is, um, it's awesome. I love to hear that. I, I wish I heard it a lot more when we were covering these kind of tattoos, uh, covering scars with tattoos for people that dealt with it, because I think that's one of the biggest social issues in the community, uh, at least here in the suburbs where we're living is kids feel alone. Kids feel like nobody cares. Um, and it, it's, you have to have that. You have to have the uncomfortable conversations and you have to get your kids the help that they need. Um, a couple of years ago, my son Tyler was dating a, a young girl and I think they were both like 13 at the time and she was dealing with self-harm and he had seen it. Uh, he saw some, uh, cuts on her arm and he wanted to help her, uh, kind of knowing what we did. And we, we, um, offered her some information like hotline numbers she could call or if she wanted counseling, we could get free counseling and she didn't really want to at the time. So we, I talked to the dad, she was living with her dad, single parent home, and he just wasn't receptive to it. And thank God, you know, we have found Tyler's still friends with her and um, we have found out that she did end up getting the help that she needed. And um, it's, it has changed things for her, but um, it's a, it's a tough thing to see somebody go through, especially when they feel like they don't have anybody that they can talk to you. Um, what did you see in school? Did you like, do you have other friends that were dealing with this at the time? A lot of friends. Yeah. It's great because today, like a lot of them are coming back to me, even though we might've lost touch a few years ago, they come back to me like, Hey, you know, those self harm scars that I had back when we were in high school, can you cover those? And when I tell them that we do it for free, like, just seeing that look on their face and being able to help them because we were both struggling so much back then, just being able to bring them to a better place and like really help them is just amazing. Yeah. We see, um, we see this a lot. So it's, it's always interesting to me when people come in and they have self harm scars, when they first come in, typically they're very quiet. Um, and they want to, they want to get rid of the scars. They don't want to look at it anymore. Or sometimes we've heard this too, is, which is pretty cool is, um, I want to cover these, but I don't want to cover all of them. Like I want to use, I want to use this as my message when I go and talk to young people, when I talk to kids at my church or whatever organization, um, mentoring, whatever it is that they're doing. Um, a lot of people that dealt with self-harm and have recovered from it are, are recovering from it. They want to help other people and it's, it's always, it's one of the things that I've talked to my kids about, um, since they were really young. I remember when I was young, I was really kind of an outsider. Um, I had a small group of friends. I didn't really let people into my life. I was dealing with my own depression and anxiety and all that stuff. Um, but I've always encouraged 
our kids to go and like kind of reach out and be that, be there for somebody that's hurting and, um, you know, sit with the kid that's at the lunch table by themselves or, you know, Tyler, my son, he's 15 now. And he's, he's had a couple of issues where he's like jumped into fights that were going on and break, breaking up fights. And, um, he's gotten popped in the face a couple of times for breaking up fights, but he's got a huge heart and he doesn't want to see other kids hurt. And, and, um, that's what we need to talk to our kids about. We need to stop this culture right now. I mean, one of the biggest issues that I see, and um, (laughs) we've got a a guy here in the community that I love, Jarrett Payton, Walter Payton's son. Um, Jarrett is an amazing guy. He he has a huge um, organization. He has a huge heart to fight against bullying. And um, he goes into the schools all the time and speaks to kids. He does events to raise awareness and, and raise money for events to help kids, um, to build stronger communities within schools. Uh, so there's less bullying. There's less of that feeling of kids being ostracized and not being a part of what's going on. Um, and it's really cool to see that. Um, he does so much good work and he actually, they have a fundraiser coming up soon. So, uh, bag the bullies is coming up. Actually, we'll, we'll post some information about that on our Facebook page coming up. Um, one of the organizations that I've read about, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, there's, there's not a ton of organizations that we've read about or heard about that, um, are out there to bring awareness to self harm or self injury. But there is one that's that's really well known and they're really cool. I'm going to let Sophie. Sophie's wearing one of their shirts actually right now. So um, an organization called To Write Love on Her Arms, um, T-W-O-L-O-H-A. You've probably seen the shirts around. And I know that they've got um, they've got a booth on Warp Tour. So Sophie, why don't you talk a little bit about that organization and kind of what it means to you and what kind of what they're about. Give people the info. They've helped so many people deal with their issues with mental illness, self-injury, depression, suicidal tendencies, and addiction. Um, it was based. It was founded in Florida. Uh, I forgot her name. I feel so bad. But she was dealing with a lot of addiction and depression and mental illness. And so this organization was founded to help her and people like her build a community around it and just know that you're not alone like I have like Chris said I have on my Detroit love on her arms t-shirt and it's also the first tattoo that I ever got and just seeing that is always a reminder to me to like you know things will get better things have gotten better Absolutely. and just a constant reminder of like this is why I do what I do to help people yeah and that's what we love that's you know I think people tend to look at Inc. 180 ministry and they're like, Oh, that's, they do the tattoos and tattoo removals and stuff. And yeah, we do that. But so much more of what we do is just talking to people and being present with people. And, um, you know, you, you may, may or may not be a fan of tattoos and that's okay. We, we, we don't mind if you don't like tattoos. Um, there's a lot of people that follow our work that are not fans of tattoos and that's perfectly fine. Uh, I have a, a, this funny picture at my house. It says the only difference between people with tattoos and the people without tattoos is that the people that have tattoos don't care that you don't have any, but, um, we are outward expressions of our past and our pain and what we've gone through. You know, I've, I've dealt with my stuff. We talked about that last week and kind of in depth, you know, Sophie has dealt with self-harm and, um, if we can, 
wear these shirts or wear these tattoos out in public and it, it starts a conversation with somebody, you never know the impact that you could be making, no matter what the issue is, you know. Um, we we kind of try to be beacons for people to be like, hey, you know, yes, I'm dealing with that, and I know that you dealt with it too, so let's talk. Um, it's just really cool to sit across the room from Sophie while she's covering up a self-harm tattoo and to um, hear her interact with her client and really listen to the client and be, just be a presence for that person and let them get it out. You know, we talk openly about our past and, and how it kind of intersects with their life. Um, last week I was in Las Vegas. I talked about this uh, briefly last week and I got an opportunity to do two self-harm cover-ups for a young woman named Desiree. Um, I'll be going back down to Vegas in probably a month to do more work with Central Church and, and all their folks there. And we love that church. Um, shout out to Central. Uh, but I was sitting there listening to Desiree. They um, they did a video interview with her, and then they did an interview with me, and then they did some video work of us covering the, the scars with the tattoo. And as I sat and, and listened to Desiree tell her story, she's 19, and she has lived a whole lifetime worth of pain in 19 years, and it broke my heart. And I don't think there was Desiree and her mom were in the room, and then like five of us guys, and there was not a dry eye in that room. Um, she was talking about it, and, and for privacy's sake, I, I won't tell her story, but just trust me. Um, I don't know that I could have survived all the things she went through in her first 19 years. Now, she's doing fantastic now. She's um, back living with her mom and doing well. She's going to school. She wants to go to nursing school. And she's started that whole process off. She's doing her general ed, ed stuff right now. Um, but she wants to she wants to share that story. She she wanted to do the cover up, you know, not just to simply cover up all the scars, but she wants to be able to talk about it and tell that story and be there for kids. She volunteers at Central with the, the kids ministry um, to, to be there for those kids and to hear the, the way that she talked about the hope that she has in her life now. And, you know, I, I'm not going to take you to church right now, but you know, she said she gave her life over to God. That's what's, that's what did it for her. And everybody's story is different. Um, everybody deals with their particular pain in a different way. Um, she has a great counselor, you know, like Sophie said, counseling is important. I, like I talked about a little bit last week, I, always was told as a, as a young kid by my dad that, you know, counseling is for girls and, you know, guys don't do that and suck it up and you'll be fine to get over it. And you know what, there, there's nothing more healthy than taking care of yourself mentally. Um, you know, if we, if we break our arm, we go to the doctor, you know, we get it taken care of. If we have things in, in our, our mental side of our life that we're not dealing with, that's the recipe for disaster. Um, and I've seen it. I've, I've seen people that, you know, you can't see it on the outside necessarily. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what they're battling. Um, counseling is the, the most important thing I do for my health. You know, I, you know, if you guys follow our work, you know, I've had kind of a crazy summer with my health, my physical health, but nothing compared to what I went through with my mental health. And I've been in, in those dark places and 
I think we all have at different points in our lives. I, I don't think I know anybody whose life is like the Brady Bunch, you know, everything's roses and unicorns. And we laugh, joke about that all the time. But, you know, it's life is hard. Life is tough. We all face our own trials and our tribulations every single day. And, man, why not go get professional help to deal with it, you know? Um, two other organizations that uh, I wanted to mention, uh, one is called CHADS. It's Communities Healing Adolescent Depression and Suicide. Um, I think one of the, the biggest misconceptions about self-harm that I've heard is, oh, they, they were cutting, so they were trying to kill themselves. And that's totally the opposite from every, every client that I've worked with so far that dealt with self-harm. Um, I think, you know, kind of like Sophie said, it was, it was like a way to vent that, that pain. Um, and I've heard that from so many survivors of self-harm is that it, it wasn't about trying to kill myself. You know, Heather, my friend Heather did a, a really good job, too, um, kind of describing her battle with it in our documentary a few years ago where she said it was it was like she had to vent that pain and she had to feel physical pain to mask the mental pain that she was fighting. Um, and the same thing, it was like she had to cut herself uh, until she had that, she came to that point where it was like no more and, and she got the help that she needed. Um, they're not trying to kill themselves. They're, they're trying to deal with an internal pain that they're not necessarily sure how to process it. And our kids are dealing with this. So we need to get them the help that they need. Uh, another one is healthyplace.com. It's a good resource center for people that are dealing with self-harm, uh, depression, anxiety. And you know what, guys, let's be honest, which one of us isn't dealing with depression and anxiety in some way? I mean, the world is a mess right now. We see it every single day. It might not be in our direct life, but you know, we're all dealing with things one way or another. Um, one of the things that when we started doing self-harm cover-ups, and Sophie, we'll talk about this a little bit. People, a lot of people kind of criticized me, and they're like, why are you doing that? They said, isn't basically tattooing the same as cutting? Isn't that the same? So they're, you're just feeding that sensation of cutting, but you're just giving them a free tattoo. What would you say to people that say that? I haven't really heard that too yeah. much from my clients. I, well, it was early, and it wasn't my clients. It was, you know, on the Facebook page, like some some random person would send me a message that says, oh, you know, my kid dealt with self-harm and, you know, you shouldn't do this because it's doing a tattoo. It's just the same as that for them cutting. They're, they're feeding it a different way. Mm-hmm. It really surprised me, to be honest. But I think it might be different because, like, you deal with a lot with the parents' side. Um, but since I'm younger, I just turned 20 in April. She just called me old, Kyle. <laughs> I didn't call you old. <laughs> you know, you keep calling yourself old. I'm old. It's You're old not. Thing. I'm old. I just turned 20 in April, so since I have, like, all of, like, the millennials, all the younger people my age that have mainly yeah. dealt with it, where it's my generation that's, like, really been struggling with it, yep. I just get gratefulness. Like, I have so many people that are just so thankful and just seeing that smile and that relief on their face. Yeah. Like, that's all that I see. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> It's a beautiful thing. It really is a beautiful thing to see that relief kind of come back into their eyes and see their face light up when they look at that tattoo. And it's just, it's awesome stuff. Um, one of the things that we, we had had, this haven't, has not happened for a while, okay? But when I started doing self-harm cover-ups, I had, a, I had two instances where this happened where 
people tried to kind of BS us a little bit and get free tattoos. Um, we, first of all, we know what self-harm looks like. We know what it is. And we know by talking to people whether this is self-harm or not. Um, but the other thing is, you know, we have conversations with them. And we just want to make sure that they have received or that they can receive the assistance that they need to, to deal with this and make sure that they've gotten the help that they need to, to not deal with cutting in the future or self-harm in the future. Um, so we talk about that. Uh, we, we also have to make sure that the scars have healed up. Sometimes we've, we've had a couple times where people have come in for cover-ups and the scars are, or the cuts are just like pretty new, um, sometimes still healing. So we have to um, make sure that the skin is completely healed up um, to a, a degree that we can actually tattoo over and not cause further damage. So um, if you're interested, uh, we do these here at Inc. 180. We travel to um, talking about having Sophie come to Vegas with me to cover a bunch uh, out at Central. But we have the mobile unit. We, we do this. This is what we do. And, and we do it because we're passionate about it. Um, we certainly don't do it because we, you know, are getting rich by it. We're, we're just humble servants of the community and we're, we're trying to help people. Um, so if you're interested in that, you can um, send an email to, to my email, chris at inc180.com. You can certainly give us a call at 630-554-1404. Um, we're typically here Tuesday through Saturday from noon to 9 p.m. Um, but I will say um, it's always best to call first because we do travel. Uh, this week I'm, I'm going to Wichita for a couple of days, but last week I was in Vegas. and um, So just call before you make the trek down and to talk to us. If you do have self-harm scars, we'll do a consultation first where we sit down with you and just kind of take a look at your skin and, and how healed it is and talk about a design and what we can do. Um, and we love to do that. Um, you're not alone. Don't feel like you're alone. If you're dealing with this right now, call us and we can connect you with some people that can get you counseling, um, either free or a reduced charge. Um, don't feel like you have to fight that fight by yourself. There are people out here who care about you a great deal. Um, we've all dealt with our, our own things. Um, I, I really appreciate Sophie's willingness to, to come on and share. Like she always is. She's, she's an open book. I and mean, when you meet her, you'll know that she'll, She'll talk to you, she'll listen to you, and she'll cry with you too. Um, but you don't have to do this by yourself. Um, I hope you listened to last week's podcast as well. If you haven't, please go on and check out episode five where we talk a lot about different um, issues related to mental health, um, my own included. Like I went, I went really in depth uh, into my own kind of struggles and what I still struggle with today. It's, it's a... It's something I will deal with my whole life. And, I, you know, I go to counseling um, because it helps me. And my life really changed literally because a, a counselor prayed with me and, and it changed my life. And I will, I will always recommend counseling to everybody. I think you should, I think everybody in the world should go to counseling. I don't care what's going on in your life. We've all got our thing. You know, like Robin Roberts always says, we all have something. And, uh, we, we have to deal with that. We have to find a way to process that and how to um, not forget it, but how to, to make our life work around it and how to process things. So if you need that help or you need help finding that help, give us a call um, because we would love to help you with that. 
to wrap things up here for this week. Um, next week, I'm going to be talking more about sex trafficking, and I'm going to have an interview. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who it is. It's going to be amazing. Um, a person that I really respect. We're going to be talking about sex trafficking uh, in the United States more. I know we uh, kind of did an overview episode a few, few weeks back, but we're going to talk about some current cases and some things that have come up recently that um, we have to make people aware of. We have to educate our kids, our, our community, our parents. We need people to know this is going on. We can't put our, head, our heads in the sand anymore and uh, just pretend it's not happening in our community because it is, and it's happening everywhere, um, city, inner city, suburbs and rural areas. So we're going to talk about that next week. A um, couple of announcements. Uh, we're going to have a meeting of our, um, I started a group at, at Big Life Community Church, my home, my church that I go to here in Oswego called Jump. Basically, we're helping people that want to get out in the community and do something in the community to just help out and, and serve in different ways, fun ways. We're connecting people with different types of ministries um, helping them, you know, if, if they think they want to start something on their own, kind of just mentoring and, and talking things out, being kind of a think tank for people that want to get out and help people. So if you're interested in doing that, come join us um, on Monday, the 31st at 7 p.m. Big Life Community Church, 197 East Washington Street in Oswego. I would love to, to see you there. I'd love to talk with you. Um, also, if you want to join us, Big Life Community Church on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 10.45, come and see me. Come talk to me. I'd love to meet you uh, and, and just talk, talk about what's going on in your life. Um, also this week, um, man, this was a tough week uh, for a lot of people. I, know, I didn't know him personally, but Brian Welch was real close to Chester Bennington and um, with his you know, suicide and it was hard for Brian and he took a lot of heat for, for kind of what he said. He was pretty angry. Um, Chester had six kids and a wife and, um, but you know, he, he, like all of us battled his demons and ultimately he, he took his life and we're just praying for him. We're praying for his family and, you know, his kids and all those that knew and loved him. Uh, just rest in peace, Chester. Talk to you next week, guys. God bless. Be a blessing. Thank you.